Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, before we started our series on questions, uh, we kind of broke away from Romans for a little while because some people asked me to share a few things on a few key topics, which I did. And uh, so as we come into the new year, I'm kicking back into the book of Romans to finish it out. But we left off in the early part of chapter 8, so we're going to pick up in the middle part of chapter 8. So once again, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 12. What does it really mean to not live in the flesh? And to actively live in the Spirit? It's something that we talk about as believers, something that we have in common. We say that if we're saved, we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, right? We talk about that, and we have the idea of really, in our hearts, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, what, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price, right? Glorify God in your body and spirit, which are His. We talk about the very fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, but do we really live as though He indwells us each day of our lives? I think that's another question sometimes. And I believe that this passage of Scripture, along with some supporting Scripture, will give us some valuable principles as to what this really means in our lives. And so uh, we're going to look at several things from verses 12 through uh, 17. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read those, then we'll open in prayer, and then we'll get into breaking these verses apart a little bit. So verse 12, and I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. It says, So then, brothers, we are under obligation. Some of your translations may say we're under a debt or we're indebted. So we're under this obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Lord God, as we come before You this morning once again, I ask God that You would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that, as John MacArthur has mentioned many times in the years, one of the most critical things that we can do that is wrong in the church is hear a beginning part of a message, understand the topic just a little bit, and come to the conclusion that we've heard everything that there is to hear about this and go into coast mode. I pray, God, that we would not go into coast mode this morning, but, God, that we would be honest about our walk with you, where we're at in our journey and our relationship with you. And I ask, God, that if we are not living according to the Spirit, if we are living in the flesh, God, might you convict us of that this morning. And I ask, God, that we might be convicted so that we might be able to change with the help of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you. So, Lord, I pray that, once again, Lord, as we pray often, that you bring conviction where conviction is needed, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. And we'll praise you, Lord, for what you alone will do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to kind of bring out four notices that I want you to just kind of highlight And the first thing I want you to notice is our obligation. And we see this in verses 12 and 13. It says, so then, brothers, we are under obligation. Obligation means, it's a very strong word. It has more more than the idea of indebted, or we have a debt to pay. But it means that this is something that we have to really consider every day in our lives. 
We are under obligation. But he says, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. Why? Because we're not indebted to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Why? Because we're living according to the flesh ends with death. It literally will end with death. There ought to be a change in how we live once we know Jesus Christ, right? We, so this just for a few moments this morning, I'm going to share a few verses that you've heard a thousand times in the last 30 years if you've grown up in church at all. But one of the very first verses we realize is, if we've been in church at all, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you are in Christ, what? if anybody is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become what? New. In other words, we are not the same person that we used to be before we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I've heard that a thousand times. I have too. I've reminded myself of that a thousand times. But why do we do that? Because we fail. We go steps forward, then we take a step back. We take a couple steps forward, take a step back. And we begin to let the things of this world around us impede our walk with the Lord and get distracted and lose our priorities, and we're reminded that you're not the same person. Therefore, you should not live the same way. It's an amazing thing to consider that, you know, I I don't know about many of you, but I was saved as a young child. As a five-year-old, I wasn't hooked on alcohol. I wasn't into drugs and immorality. I, I, I didn't have those things. God saved some people out of some things. He saved some people from some things. The miracle is that He saves us, right? But I know that because I am in Jesus Christ, I'm not the person I could have been outside of Him. Because Jesus has done a work in my life. And uh, look over at Galatians. So I'm going to have you jump around just for a few moments. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8 says this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what does it say? The one who sows. Sowing is an active choice, right? So if I'm sowing to the flesh, I'm of the flesh going to reap corruption. If I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to what? Reap life, eternal. The reality is every day it is a choice as to how we're going to live. I don't know what you, but as I say it often, it only takes a millisecond to get in the flesh. I mean, I don't know about you, but it breaks barriers, speed barriers of how fast we can walk into sin. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that. Somebody says something and immediately I want to lash out. Somebody gives me their opinion. I want to let them know that their opinion is wrong and that mine's right. And why? I want to justify what I think, what I do, and I can come up with a million reasons why, but the reality is that if I sow to the flesh, I'm of the flesh going to reap corruption. What good is it going to come if I push my point? Even though I try to do it. Anybody else guilty? All of us. But the reality is this is if you choose to reap this direction... Every choice we make has consequences. Some of the consequences are good. Some of them are not so good. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Oftentimes, you've heard me speak on Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and once again, the church's primary purpose is not necessarily to reach the lost inside these walls on a Sunday. Did you understand that? Some of you may disagree with me on that. I'm not saying it's not a purpose. It's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is in 11 through 16. And if you notice, it says in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. 
The bottom line is my job, and every person who speaks the Word of God from the pulpit or teaches in a Sunday school class, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Stop there, right there. You're being equipped. Are you doing the work? See, we kind of skip that part and we go down to the next part of that verse. What's it say here? Uh, for the, to the building up of the body of Christ. Well, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm being built up. Right. But you're being built up to go out. You're being built up to be the church. We're not just the church on Sunday when we come here. The church is still active other six and a half hours a day. As you're going to the grocery store. As you're going to the gas station. As you're going to talk to your neighbor across the fence. That's the church being the church. We forgot that the, the purpose of this place in this time period is to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. But here's what he says in the following verses in verse 17 following. It says, this, Therefore this I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Why? Because they were not walking according to the Word of God. They were walking according to the flesh. And he says, you're not to walk that way anymore. And then he goes on and gets very specific about what that looks like. Being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. And by the way, this ignorance is not just the fact that they didn't know. It was willful ignorance. They knew what to do. They weren't choosing to do it. So the idea of their ignorance that is in them because their hardness of their heart. Question. When we choose not to do something that we are instructed to do, why don't we do it? It's because of our own rebelliousness, right? We don't want to... I mean, does anybody enjoy having someone tell them what to do? I don't. I don't like people telling me what to do. That's my nature. And before you get too critical, it's your nature too. The bottom line is we don't like authority. We don't like authority figures. We don't like people telling us what to do. Our hearts become hard in those situations. It says, and they, talking to these people who are walking in the futility of their own minds, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I mean, this is what they lived for. This was the darkness that was coming out of their heart, right? Whatever is in their heart is what was coming out of their heart. Verse 20 says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Let me stop right there just for a moment. If you have grown up in church at all, if you've been saved for any amount of time, there's a probably a good chance that you did not learn how to live like the world. In fact, every week when you go to church, whether it was in Sunday school, whether it was in young adult study, or whether it was in men's Bible study, or ladies' Bible study, or in morning service, evening service, midweek prayer, it doesn't matter what service you attended, you did not learn how to walk like the world walks. I'm guaranteeing you, somebody said, this is how you should not walk. This is how you should walk. And that's what he's saying here. You did not learn Christ this way. What way? What he just got done repeating in the first three verses that we read, 17, 18, and 19. You did not learn this. He says, if indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, to lay aside. So you were taught to lay aside. In reference to your former conduct, that's how you live, that's how you act, that's you, who you are as you, as you are out about in public. The old man, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lust of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because that's where all the change takes place. In our minds. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. As a man thinks, because what you think of God becomes our actions. So he says, renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
in verse 24, and to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and the truth. So here's what he says here. You're to put off the old man, put on the new man, right? Which has been renewed in the likeness of God. Verse 25, therefore laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Wait a minute, can I still be angry at what's taking place? Yeah, if you're angry at sin. If you're angry at the things that cause one to sin. But he says, do, be, be angry and do not sin. So there is a type of sin, or a type of anger that is not sinful, but there's definitely a, a type of sin or anger that is sinful. So it says, do not be angry, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Whoa, there's a tough one. By our actions, by our reactions, what we say, what we don't say, what we do, what we don't do, we're either giving the devil an opportunity to use what we're saying for something simple and rotten. I've said over and over, the only one that's winning during this pandemic is the devil, and he's having a heyday. He is using it to divide the church. He's using it to cause division all around us, discord, disunity. He says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not do it. Don't go there. Verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So, wait a minute. There's a change that's supposed to take place in how we live life once Jesus Christ lives within us. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I'm guilty. There are things that I spew off of the cuff in a moment. It's like, oh, why did I say that? I didn't need to say that. It says, but don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only such as a word is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's a whole big list of things that we have to work on. And they're not always easy. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has graciously forgiven you. Wow. What about this change that's supposed to take place in our lives once we know Him? So, once again, if there's no difference between us and the unsaved people in this world all around us, if the only difference is that you might go to church on Sunday, if the only difference is that you know you might dress a little different or talk a little different, if our life is not substantially different than the lost world around us, why, tell me, would they want what we say we have? There has to be a difference. And God says you're a peculiar people created, what, to good works. So there ought to be something different about us. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, once again, he goes on with this, this change that should be in our lives. Verse 5 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, consider yourself dead to these things. I don't know about you, but if you're a red-blooded American, you have passion, you have desire, you have things that you want, that's not easy. But it can be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. can't do it in your flesh because that feeds the flesh, right? So it goes on, verse 6, On account of these things... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also, what's the word? Once walked. Is once present tense or past tense? 
Past tense. In other words, there is an assumption, there's a presupposition that you used to do these things, but you're not to be doing them now. It says, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also lay them all aside. Wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And he goes on, just all these things that ought to be a marked difference in us once we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, here's a question that came to my mind as I'm reading through uh, Romans chapter 8 just for a little bit this week. Romans chapter 8 says, uh, all these things that were to be different in us once we know Jesus because the Holy Spirit's living within us, we're not under the law, we're under grace, and we kind of hashed all that out in those beginning chapters of, of Romans. But the question that comes to my mind is, why are there so many verses about the change that should take place in how we live our lives once we know Jesus? I mean, it just seems like there's an endless supply of verses that tell us how we're to change in how we live. How come he emphasizes it so much and in so many different ways and in so many different passages of Scripture? Has anybody ever noticed that? I mean, passage after passage after passage, book after book after book, he talks about this change and the things that we should no longer do or the things that should no longer be a part of our lives. Why does Paul bring this subject up repeatedly? Could it be that we aren't getting it right as his children? I mean, I'm just thinking when you tell your children to do something over and over and over and over again, it's usually for one reason. They're not doing it yet. And if we are the children of God and he's reminding us over and over and over and over again, could it be is that we're not doing it yet? And so he reminds us over and over and over again, these are some things that should be characteristic in your life. These are some things that should not be in your life. And we got to get this right. If we're going to have an impact in the world, remember, our whole life as a believer hinges on how we live, right? Because if I have sin in my life and I'm choosing not to deal with it, God says, why should I listen to your prayer? Why should I put my blessing upon you if you're choosing to not deal with sin in your life? God says that over and over. Psalm 66, 18, Proverbs 28. He says over and over in just a handful of passages, if you're not going to deal with sin, why do you expect my blessing? See, if there's no difference between us and the world we live in, do you really have Jesus in your life? I think it's a valid point. I think Paul addresses us over and over because it's an issue that we have to deal with as a body of believers. And I also think this, Paul addresses these people as brothers. Look at this in verse 12. So then, brothers... Isn't that unique? He doesn't just say you're just every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's out in the world. He addresses you as brothers. Why? Think about that just for a moment. It reminds us of the closeness that each of us has as believers and being in part of the same family. We are a body of believers. We are a body in the church. We are together as brothers. And he says we as brothers... You have this obligation not to live to the flesh. But the obligation not to live to the flesh means that you also have an obligation to live by the Spirit, which ends in life. To live according to the Spirit. And this means that we must put disobedience to death. Think about that phrase. Put disobedience to death. Uh, This requires that you put to death the practices of the body. Here's what it means here. I thought this was really interesting. Um... He says in verse 12, We are under obligation not to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. die. But if the Spirit you are putting to death 
the practice of the body you will live. The Greek words behind putting to death literally means to slaughter. It's the exact same word that is translated slaughter in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, where we, being, we are as lamb being brought to slaughter. It literally has the idea of something, and that something being sin, being slaughtered. Put that word in that phrase. You are slaughtering the practices of the body. In other words, it is a choice every day to slaughter sin in our lives. I think that's really a a, a huge word picture. In my mind, and maybe I'm different than you, but when I think of killing something versus slaughtering something, does one seem to have a more vicious word picture, or is that just me? Yeah, okay, so they're both dead. But that one was mutilated and slaughtered. Slaughtered has a much distinct, more vivid word picture. That's the one he uses. He doesn't just say kill it. He says slaughter it. That's huge. But here's the point. Don't live like you used to. It means we must put disobedience to death. To slaughter it. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, we looked at this several months ago. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, it says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we're dead to sin, alive to Christ. But not only that, look at Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. And verses 12 and 13. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers... That my, no, wrong verse. Wrong chapter. Verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Think about that just for a moment. If I am to slaughter sin, and to consider myself dead to sin. I love this, what it says here. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out your salvation? To every day to practice holiness. To practice righteousness. To say no to the flesh. To say no to our fleshly desires. To say no to the things of this world that are not godly and holy. The bottom line is, that is a daily practice. A daily working out of our salvation to know that it's real. To know that this is something that pleases God. And verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you. Why? Because we cannot do it in and of ourselves. You cannot do it in and of yourselves. Here's what I'm thinking here as I was reading about this this week. I was reading what different commentaries had to say on this passage. And one man, I can't remember his name, said this. He says, I must choose daily to slaughter sin. But I can't do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me, but the Holy Spirit is not going to do it without me. Think about that. I must choose to slaughter my sin, but I cannot do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me, but the Holy Spirit is not going to do it without me. Think about that. I think he's dead on. 
remember as a child, I remember growing up in church singing this song, He will not compel us to go. Oh no, He will not compel us to go. He will not compel us to go against our will. He just makes us willing to go. And the reality is, He'll help us when we make the choice to do it. But if I reject God and put my fist in the face of God and say I'm not going to do it, there will be choices and consequences from those choices. But the Holy Spirit is not going to make you do what you're unwilling to do. If I'm going to choose to do what's right, He'll help me do it. But if I don't want to do what's right, why would I expect that I'm going to do what's right if I don't want to? That's right. Bottom line. So let me ask you a couple questions. How do I slaughter sin? God's Word is full of all kinds of things that will teach us to slaughter sin. But there's a few uh, passages that I think that would be good to highlight. In Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 15, it says, Avoid it, do not pass by it, stay from it, and pass on. Now think about that just for a moment. If I know that there is a struggle in a particular area of my life, or when I go to a specific location, or when I'm around a certain group of people or a certain person, he says, if you want to not sin, avoid it. I was recently talking to someone who had a problem with alcohol. And uh, he mentioned to me, you know, that he had seen a victory over it for the last two years now. And I said, well, what did you do to, to help overcome that? He goes, obviously it was God, number one. But he goes, secondly, he goes, I took a different route home from work every day. Because on my way home from work, he goes, I was stopping every night, grabbing liquor every night on the way home. And he says, so every night I was loading up, going home drinking, and getting drunk every night. He said, I just started going a different way home. What did he do? He removed the temptation. If you're not going by it, I'm not stopping there. See, is it really that easy? I think it can be, if, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Not in your own flesh, it's not. But he says here, <laughs> Do not enter the path of wicked men, and do not step in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, stray, stray from it, and pass on. He says, just get away from it. Don't walk away, run from it. How about, here's another one, Jeremiah chapter 6. You've got to turn there. If you're not familiar with this passage, turn to Jeremiah 6. This is a really neat verse. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 4. Set yourselves apart for war against... No, that's not it. Did I write it wrong? 614. 6.14. says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace. But there is no peace. Just let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> they have healed the brokenness of my people. What does the word superficially mean? Not real. It might be a band-aid, but there's no real healing. You might have put a piece of gauze over it, but it's still bleeding underneath. They've healed it superficially. And when you think about it, he says, they didn't begin to say, peace, Peace. But there is no peace. Why? Because it is not real. If we are going to slaughter sin, you can't be superficial about sin. 
It can't just be, well, I got caught and everyone knows I got caught, so I'm just going to kind of put this little thing out there saying I'm sorry. God knows our heart. He knows what's inside. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your children. You can hide it from your friends and relatives. You might even be able to hide it from your, 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 your employer. But you can't hide it from God. You can't. You can say, well, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. But that's superficial. Until repentance takes place, that means I've been confronted with this sin, and now I'm going to turn my back on it, repent of it, and go a different direction. That's what needs to happen. How about in 1 Corinthians 10.13? There is no temptation that is taking you, but such is common to man. Right? And he says, with that temptation, there's what? A way of... Look for the way of escape. That's how you slaughter sin. You look for a way of escape. You don't just give in and say, oh, well, uh, God's going to forgive me, so no big deal. No, that's abusing grace. That's making God's grace cheap. Should I continue in my sin that grace may abound? Three times, he says in Romans. God forbid. May it not be so. Never let that be the case. You look for the way of escape so that you don't give in to it. That's how you slaughter sin. And one more. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, says, But refuse godless myths fit only for old women. And the other hand, train yourself up for the purpose of godliness. Train yourself for godliness. You want to slaughter sin? Know what sin is so that you can avoid it, so you can get away from it, so you can not be distracted by it. Train yourself in godliness. That's our obligation. Not to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. But notice secondly in verses 14 and 15 in our text in Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 and 15 says this, For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So secondly, our obedience. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are. Our actions, our obedience gives credence to the fact that we truly know Jesus. If in one hand we say something, but we don't follow it with our words, what does that mean for our words? They mean nothing. Actions speak louder than words. We've said, heard that. We've known it our entire lives. Actions mean more than our words. If our actions don't back up our words, the words mean nothing. So he makes this very clear. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are. If you are one who is letting you, the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you, you're a child of God. So it's not like we have to stumble around or to wander. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, right? We don't have to go nebulously somewhere or anywhere out there just to find what we're supposed to do. He says, as many as are led. That means the Holy Spirit is willing to guide us. Are we willing to follow? We're led by the Holy Spirit, but are we willing to follow? And he says, these who are led by the Spirit, secondly, are the sons of God. You know what that means? We're part of His family. As we've said already, as we were talking in the beginning part of our service this morning, that as we grow older, uh, I don't know about some of you, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say I don't like gifts, I like gifts. Anybody else like gifts? Gifts are cool, I mean, gifts are fun. But there's no gift that can take the place of having family around you. I love that. I don't know. I mean, I'm just getting a little bit older and sappier. I don't know. But I, I like having my kids around. And when they're not around, any parents still worry, even though your kids have been out of the house for years? 
My kids will never understand that. You know, I worried about Jake until he got his own place. And even then I still worried. Because that's what parents do. We're not supposed to, but we do. And we try not to, but we do. And it's a struggle sometimes. But the longer Jake was at his own place, the less I worried about him. Because now he's a man. He's taking care of his own responsibilities. He's there. David goes to Houston. I'm wondering every night, where is he at? What's he doing? He was fine. Had nothing to worry about, but it's still just the thought. My kids will never understand it until they have their own kids, and your kids won't understand it until they have their own kids. But it's family. When our kids are near, they feel complete. Right? Feel whole. Feel like it's all good now, because we're all here. I jokingly said, I, if I were a multi-multi-millionaire and money was not an object, I'd buy like a thousand acres and build a compound. I really would. And I'd have, you know, Jake's 100 acres over here and David's 100 acres here and Andrea's 100 acres here. And, and, my, and, and Andrea said to my wife, is Dad serious about this? That's, that's crazy. It is. It is crazy. It's dumb. But you know, isn't that how we feel sometimes? We want to keep our kids close, family, right? Is there anything better than family? Even though there's hiccups and bumps and bruises and scars and scrapes and sometimes it's ugly, it's still family. And put all those thoughts that you have about family. God says we're his family. He loves us. Over and over, God's word is just full of these passages. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If we are his sons, we, he is our father. We're part of his family. Let me give you a few verses that back this up just for a few moments to think about. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them who believe on his name. We are part of his family. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Go over there just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. It says, but now, thus says Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are what? Mine. There's belonging like never before. You want to talk about having the ability to be belonged by somebody? Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 16. He says, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Stop right there. His children in Israel. Talk about belonging. Talking about having a place in the family. He says, I've inscribed you in the palms of my hands. Is that not cool? Does anyone else think that's cool? That's cool. That's how much he loves us. How about 2 Corinthians Chapter 6. Oops, I'm in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. It says, And I will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow, he says, When we live for him, he says, I will be your father. And you see the prerequisites that he talks about in, in the previous verses. But one more. How about 1 John chapter 3? Towards the end of the Bible, 
First John chapter 3 and verse 1. says, See how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called the children of God. And we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. We have a Father that loves us and cares for us. And as much as we long to have our children near us, under our watchful arm of protection, even if there's things that we cannot do about it, we want them near because of that sense of comfort and encouragement and joy. We want our children near. So much and more, God wants us near Him. And He goes on to say, we're no longer slaves. Look there in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For we have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption. We're no longer slaves. Hebrews chapter 2. I love this. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm almost there. And verse 15 says, And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Go back to verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power, power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is no longer slavery. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, or in some of your translations, fear, but of power and love and self, self-discipline, sound mind. He's not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is not of God, it's of the devil. And you've been freed from that. So notice our obligation. Notice our obedience. But number three, notice our objective, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The whole idea of bearing witness is the idea of reflecting the image of God. Paul refers to this over and over throughout Scripture. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, live that yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And he goes on to say that I live this life by the power of the Holy Spirit with it, which is in me. He says, not about me. It's about who? Jesus being seen in me. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness of God has borne witness about his Son. Once again, he says, you're a witness of Jesus Christ. You're a witness. You're a reflection of him. And your life is to be seen in him. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 13, just a page back, says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us us of His Spirit. We have His Spirit indwelling us. And one more, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, or chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 21-22. says, Now He who established us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave the pledge of the Spirit in our hearts, he gave us the seal of his pledge as a seal. Or he gave us his pledge as a seal in our hearts that were his. We're part of his family. And the objective is now to reflect his name, his life. Question. Just for a moment, 
What happens when any of us who has a family name, whether Todd, Jones, Smith, Parker, whatever your last name is, and you have a son who goes off and does something ridiculous and is all over the news because of that thing, doesn't that just bring joy to your heart? No. Doesn't mean you don't love him. Doesn't mean that you're not saddened for him. It doesn't mean that you're going to kick him out of the That may be what happens. But the reality is what? You are joyed when your son carries on your family name with respect and integrity and honesty. We're to reflect his name. We're to let people see Jesus in us according to this verse. One more thing, and then we'll close. In verse 17, it says, And if children, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And fourthly, notice our place. Sorry, no more O's. Couldn't think of an O. <laughs> we are we notice our obligation, our obedience, our objective, but lastly, our place. Our place... We're children. We're heirs, joint heirs of what he owns. It's an interesting thing that one day when I die, someday when I die, and I will die someday, everything I have won't matter. But I guess somewhere in the big picture, my kids will inherit what I have. May not be much. Maybe certain things that each of my kids may want whether it's a firearm or my knife collection or, you know, things that I think are cool that the next person couldn't give a rip about. One day, my stuff, and that's all it is, is stuff, it ain't going to matter. None of it will. It's going to be passed on to one of my kids. They'll take it. Maybe they'll use it. Maybe they'll sell it. Who knows? doesn't really matter in the big picture. I won't be here to know. <laughs> I won't care. Right? But the one thing that we are able to share in, according to this passage of Scripture, is that we're family. And if indeed we suffer with Him, we also may be glorified with Him. Our place in the story is that we bear the image and reflect the life of our Father. We share in His sufferings, we share in His glory. Right? Isn't that what it's going to be about one day? But it also shouldn't be one day. It should be right here and now. We are partakers of who He is, not who we are. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and with this I close. Actually, we go verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think of the suffering that he went through to give us that gift. The suffering that he went through that we might obtain that gift. So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? To obtain an inheritance incorruptible. <coughs> an inheritance incorruptible. Everything that I own that I pass on to my kids is corruptible. 
everything that I own, stick some gas and match to it, 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 it'll tell you how long it'll last. It won't be worth anything one day. But the one thing that will last is a relationship with Jesus. To obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. What we have to look forward to is not in this earth. There is not one thing that someone could give me that is better than what is going to await me in heaven one day. Amen? That's what we're living for. Our obligation is not to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. Our obedience is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in our life with His help. Number three, our objective is to reflect the image of God and to know our place last. Is that our place is in heaven one day. To where this incorruptible gift is waiting. I don't know about you, but this is something that we have to look forward to. This life, yeah, you're going to have frustrations. You're going to have things that irritate. But once again, it's temporary. Right? The main thing that we have to deal with right now is living obediently with the help of the Holy Spirit each and every day of our lives. To be led by the Spirit of God in all these areas. I don't want you, but that's my desire. But it's also my struggle. I want that. But my flesh is strong. Anybody else empathize? Anybody else struggle with that? That's what I want. And that's what we need each other for. That's why we have to work together in this body, the family, to encourage one another, to help one another, to lift up one another. But ultimately, relying on the Holy Spirit to get through it. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, this day to truly take to heart these things that we're reading about, the change that ought to be in us because we do know you. And Lord, if there's no difference between us and the world, God, rebuke us, convict us, but then change us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit's power. And I pray, God, that whatever the need is here this morning, Lord God, you'd help us to realize that you are great. You are powerful. You are awesome. You're merciful. You're gracious. And Lord, so often we give in to the flesh and we're living according to the flesh. Too often, God, we are not obedient. We're disobedient. Too often, Lord, we're not reflecting your image. We're reflecting our own. And Lord, I think sometimes it's because we don't know our place or we've forgotten our place in your family to the real inheritance that awaits us one day. God, would you help us? We cannot do it of our own, Lord, but it starts with our desire to want to be led by the Spirit. So God, would you work out in our hearts, Lord, to bring us about that desire, that change in us that only you can produce. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I say it every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard, and you can do with it whatever you choose. Every choice has consequences. So you can choose to say, Lord, that's me and I need your help and I have to change some things or say, I'm just fine and I'll deal with it later. That's our choice.
but every choice has consequences. So if you're honest with yourself this morning, say, Pastor, there's some things that need to change in my life. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes. Being led by the Spirit. That's a daily surrendering of myself, my will to His. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my struggle. Yes. Yes. Can I just challenge you? Uh, I'm not going to give a come forward invitation or anything, but right there where you're sitting, right there where you're at, just simply pray. God, I need your help. I can't do this without you. God's word says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. If there's a desire to, to walk with Jesus, he will walk with you. If there's a desire to be filled with the Spirit, he will fill you. If there's a desire to have victory, he will give you victory. But it starts with your desire to want to do what's right. And then he'll give you the power to do it. Take a moment and pray. Ask for the Lord's help. Ask for His Spirit to empower you. And I would even dare say, thank Him for allowing us to be part of His family. Thank Him for allowing us to be part of His family. For wanting us to be close to Him. all stand to our feet as we close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. God, I pray that you would just, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, empower each of us that desires to be close to you. Lord, to help us to accomplish that this week. To walk in fellowship with you. To say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Give victory, Lord, to each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord, may you be glorified in all things, in every aspect of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.